0: Today's episode is a trial of an episode type we've not really done before, where I talk to someone who isn't a Mage of the Ascension or World of Darkness slash Chronicles of Darkness person, and we talk about something we can add to our game, although not necessarily in game setting or systems terms. Shows of this kind would let us talk to experts who have interesting and fun things to say that can inform our games without them needing to know mage, but at the same time, they may feel less directly magey and may require some work to translate to our tables. Given it a try? tell us what you think. I'm running a survey on the Discord as well as on the Spotify page for this episode. And with that, on with the show. Hi, Mage fans. this is your host, Terry Robinson, with Mage the Podcast, and my guest today is Dr. Stephen Novella. Dr. Novella is one of the founders of the New England Skeptical Society, one of the hosts of the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, an award-winning podcast on science and skepticism, a founder of the New England Conference on Science and Skepticism, and also the author of several RPG supplements. So if you have ever read Broadsides, Naval Adventuring, Twin Crowns, Age of Exploration Fantasy, or Spellbound, a Codex of Ritual Magic, you've already seen Dr. Novella's work. I know you've done other things, but when you Google Steven Novella RPGs, you get a lot of RPG novellas written by people named Steve. Mm. So, a little Yeah, bit I of,
1: have that problem. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Steve is also part of the writing team for Skeptic's Guide to the Future, and we'll be talking about that soon. But more importantly, Dr. Novella is a RPG dork and a birder. So, let's start with a hard hitting question Did you see the cell- stellar sea eagle when it was in Maine recently?
1: I didn't. I heard about it. I did not see it. No, I, I don't, have, don't have a chance to go flying around doing my birding. It's mostly backyard birding or just uh, when I get a chance. If, if when, I, when I am on vacation, I usually carve out some time to do some local birding, but I, I, yeah, I don't have the luxury. Maybe when I retire, I'll be able to do things like pop up to Maine to, to see a specific eagle.
0: And on the RPG side, what are you currently playing or what would you like to be playing?
1: playing a couple of things. So my brother and I are running a Star Wars game for a group. I'm basically helping him GM. I don't have time to run it full time or to play full time. So I sort of help him write it and I sort of play a, a cameo of a returning characters. I'm running a Fallout 4 D20 game for some members of my family and friends. I basically wrote the rules for it based on the D20 5e, but, you know, just um, making them specifically to simulate the Fallout 4 world. So those are the two that I'm involved in right now. We, we obviously play a lot of one-offs or pickup games, and I wish I had more time to do it, but it's not like when I'm writing a book, I pretty much can't do anything else. Yeah. Extracurricular, that's pretty much my one extracurricular activity till it's done.
0: Is that the D20 Star Wars, the old West End games, or the contemporary Genesis one? The Genesis one. Nice. Yeah. I saw that Modifius had also done the 2D twenty fallout, which people immediately complained where it's like, it's realistic. You spend a lot of time picking up screws. What don't I want to do at a tabletop game? Keep track of screws.
1: Yeah, I'm sort of playtesting what I wrote, you know, with my friends. And that's that is the key thing is how much what's the balance between playability and and a good simulation? Like I want them to work for, for what they get, but you could get easily get bogged down and crappy details like that. I think I struck a good balance although I f- playing it I probably will in fact back off a little bit on the detail. It just it does get crazy complicated very quickly.
0: Yeah. In your most recent book, A Skeptic Side to the Future, it's laid out in a number of chapters. You talk about near-term technologies, mid-term technologies, far-future technologies. You have an aside kind of on space travel. Magic and technology in Mage of the Ascension, kind of a complicated relationship. There is a metaphysical science of the game of some sort in the game, mm-hmm. but it seems like science, as we know, kind of works. People are sleepers are able to make—non-magic users are able to make discoveries that advance the frontier of science— and there is a secondary limitation in that magic is harder if people see you doing it and they go, that's some impossible bullshit over there. Is there yeah. a near future advance that if a layperson saw it, they'd go, huh, seems possible. But if an expert saw it, they'd call bullshit.
1: That's constant because mm-hmm. there, when there are things that are on the horizon, like the people who are doing the research know that, like this new idea, if it does pan out, it's twenty to thirty years away. But it immediately gets hyped as if it's right around the corner. And in the you know the field of medicine, like my field, will clinics will pop up promising the treatment. So. You know, one thing that's still we're still in the middle of is the the fraudulent stem cell clinic. So like when stem cells first came into the public consciousness in the early 2000s, there was this, oh, it's going to cure cancer and Alzheimer's disease and blah, blah, blah. We're going to grow organs and all this cool stuff. It's like, yeah, maybe in 30 years we'll be doing that kind of stuff. But it's hard technology. And but stem cell clinics popped up. Right right then and there, like 2005, 2006, there were these stem cell clinics promising, you know, these treatments for incurable diseases, basically claiming, again, what an expert would see is you're claiming to have done 20 years of progress in a year without any paper trail, without publishing any, you know, studies, just we have this treatment that is really going to take 20 years to develop. And of course the lay person's like, oh yeah, I heard about stem cells. Yeah, sure. This is, this is the next thing. This is going to happen. So there's, there's a lot of that going on constantly. The the stuff I heard in the, about like at the, when I was in medical school in the nineties is the stuff that's just coming into use now sometimes, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, some of the, the cellular therapies for cancer, the monoclonal antibodies Again, I learned about, Now, like, there's a monoclonal antibody treatment for everything. But it's, like, just hitting now, really, in the last four or five years. And, you know, this is something I learned about in the 90s. So that's about the delay. Then there were things, you know, going out of medicine like cold, like, not cold fusion, but regular fusion, fusion energy. Amazingly, people thought that that was right around the corner in the 1940s, you know. When, when it was like, no, nah, you're off by about 150 years. We're still not there. You know, it, was, it does feel like we're getting close. But even, even still, I personally think, and actually my co-author, my brother Bob and I differ on this. He's a little bit more uh, optimistic. I still think it's going to be a solid 40 or 50 years before fusion power, if all goes well. That will be like generating power to the grid from a fusion a commercial fusion reactor even though as close as we are that's just how long it takes to develop big stuff like that you know once the buzz starts it feels like oh this is right around the corner
0: and those are good opportunities in our games. So we know that sleepers, non-magic users, are able to make scientific innovations themselves. Einstein yeah. was, not a, was not a mage, just a particularly talented sleeper. Yep. So this is now a plot thread. Someone goes online saying that they have made a stem cell breakthrough, and suddenly we have people that had uh, spinal injuries, um, something else where, where stem cells is particularly listed, or dealing with certain invasive cancers. And this gives an avenue for our characters to go, you know what? There may be something fishy going on here and either mm-hmm. we now have a war of the factions of the game to be like this person's onto something we need to stop this from getting out cuz it could do this this mm-hmm. and this or this could be alerting the world that this is this is potentially a magic user who is kind of bringing that technological time frame forward.
1: Yeah. Like pretending to do science but really cheating it with magic that kind of thing
0: or has has kind of fudged the laws of physics so that it yeah. kind of works if, if you are persistent enough in, in the face of uh, consensual reality you can do some pretty amazing things we have historical s- supplements talking about sky riggers essentially flying ships that eventually were kind of written out of history because everyone's like no 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 that's not a thing we can do um the, yeah, the consensus yeah. is a is a fuzzy thing now on the opposite side is there something in the next few years that you think non-experts are going to go That's horse hockey, but experts are going to go, no, 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 that was kind of in the cards.
1: It's a little hard to say. I mean, one thing that comes to mind is genetic manipulation, you know, that uh, we're getting so good at it, you know, with CRISPR and actually that CRISPR is just the latest in a a string of technologies of, of, of bioengineering. And I think that, I mean, it's so hard because everything gets hyped so bad that it's hard to the public is usually way out in he- ahead of the science. But I think mm. the thing with, with the genetic engineering is that I don't know that the, the non-expert or the non-enthusiast, you know, really understands the potential that we're talking about. And I think experts do understand the potential. It's like, yeah, we, we have our hands on the code of life and we really can, can make significant changes. And they're working on building. This is probably another good one because this is a one that I see a lot of, talk about in popular science is you know there are there are researchers like ventnor who are trying to create life from scratch like create a genome from nothing from the ground up you know they're making progress i think that's one of those things that will probably hit with that you know prior to there being a significant public awareness of it. it'll it just be like oh yeah we're making bacteria now people won't have seen it coming because you know only The science nerds are really paying attention to where that kind of thing is.
0: If we have the daring supervillain scenario and it turns out CRISPR was involved. And in your book, I was introduced to uh, Talon as a kind of successor Mm -hmm. or supplemental technology. And when I Googled it, the first one was from Genopedia, which is Talon or CRISPR, which should I use? And that was a a case of, oh, crap, this is. This is really moving. What is that daring supervillain power you see CRISPR giving us? Is it something in the future where we will have genetically engineered assassins secreting neurotoxins into people's drinks, and that is what five Bond films from now we are talking about, or modifications kind of at that level still at the several-decade mark?
1: It's probably at the several-decade mark, but only because if you the regulations are not going to allow us to start messing okay. around with human DNA soon. So, you know, we're, we're doing it for things like diseases, and we're not doing it on the part of the, of the genome, the germ cell line, right? We're not doing it on the part of the genome that would pass through to future generations. So, in other words, if I alter your genetics with CRISPR, it would be done in a way that it ends with you. Like, you wouldn't pass it on to your kids. This technology would have to be really proven, and that's probably decades away, at least. And then you know, beyond treating diseases, people get very give it very antsy. You know, it's like yeah, we're treating sickle cell anemia with CRISPR now, which is great. But doing things like you know, enhanced strength or enhanced reflexes or immunity to toxins might be one. Or taking a gene from an animal that we know secretes a toxin and and putting it in a different animal so that they secrete it in some way that you know could be exploited is not that big a deal yeah in a world where there were billionaire supervillains who could do this technology without worrying about the ethics committees and and the government regulations they would probably kill a lot of people along the way Uh, but again if they don't care about that they could probably come up with some pretty cool stuff It might not the person who has that mutation might not be enjoying their life but you know they would probably do some you know you can get creative with creating some super assassins sure
0: and luckily this is a game that has those shadowy billionaire organizations so we get take that institutional review boards right um, Right,
1: right.
0: <laughs> that's not plausible you bring up two things though that i think are useful in games one unless it is true magic if you're doing any approximation of science there's going to be a build-up to it um Mm -hmm. where you get to put together the trail of clues where it's like oh this person was at this event shook a bunch of hands and they all came down sick and then later this person was found at this site where the ambassador was found dead from a jellyfish sting somehow or, or botulinum spores or something like that so that kind of does inform things and two the fact that like once this is baked into a person it's probably not great for them like you have that thing what's the giveaway going to be they're probably dealing with persistent uticaria like (laughs) uh, yeah yeah. as much as i want to have the ability to slap someone and secrete slow loris venom on them just because no one would see slow loris venom coming um it would probably result (laughs) in me needing to take a lot of diphenhydramine as my day went on
1: yeah, there probably be some some very unsavory side effects. Again, especially if you're not interested in doing ethical research, you just want the end result, you know, which could also be a good tell in a game, like the character who has something a little weird about them, you know, because they've been genetically modified for some specific purpose. There's a lot of writing potential there, like the the, the villain, the assassin, who's got some, you know, weird physical manifestation, you know.
0: And also the fact that uh, you mentioned another thing, there are regulatory environments that these technologies frequently have to go through, and that acts as a constraint. Mm-hmm. So uh, another thing we could include in the game was, what is this gene code that is pushing for the genetic freedom bill or something mm-hmm. like that to yeah. include that there is a social component to it? And again, in a game with, a, with shadowy billionaires that have access to vast funds, I also wouldn't be surprised if they were pushes on social media or TikTok or something like that to normalize certain things as quickly as as possible
1: you know or they just move their operation set up their operation in countries that have no regulation or poor regulation which is what happens today like the, the stem cell clinics first popped up in countries that had this loose you know regulation they became the centers of stem cell tourism so mm-hmm. it would be the same kind of thing it's like why is this eccentric billionaire building a research facility in Uruguay or whatever in some mm-hmm. developing nation that's that's you know, it's like well maybe it's because they have loose regulations there so why would they be why is that important to them yeah because then they could do whatever the hell they want you know
0: speaking of other near future innovations one of the ideas that we have in mage is that if you can convince spectators that this is reasonable it's easier to get away with it goes down a difficulty level the in-game mechanic of paradox is less likely to be triggered you're less likely to to get some ironic backlash in you creating your effect one way of doing this is with buzzwords Right now, you can mm-hmm. get, or at least a couple years ago, you could get $10 million in angel funding by saying that you had a machine learning model for something or by slapping the word, the prefix noro, onto something seemingly. What do you feel are those current buzzwords that I could jam into my game? Like, for instance, I want to shoot fire at someone, but I didn't actually do that. I just struck them with a stream of embedded nanocombustibles.
1: Right, yeah, so definitely nano is one. Like, you know, nanotechnology... Um, in fact, that term was so abused that the industry had to come up with m- new terms you know because what is nanotech? It's anything where one dimension of the things you're dealing with are less than a hundred nanometers, but that's like you know that that that's a very, very broad category There are a lot of naturally occurring things that have small features like that, so like almost anything could be nanotechnology when you think about it but um, so the they have to say, oh smoke. yeah, but uh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's, that's because now it's an industry buzzword, right? It's a marketing buzzword. Mm-hmm. Antioxidants became another one, you know, where it's like, no, nobody really knows what they do. I mean, in the you know, non-experts. So you could just say, yeah, this is loaded with, with antioxidants or nutraceuticals, like to create a new category of stuff. It's like, it's a, it's a nutraceutical. It's food that, that acts like a drug, meaning it can treat disease. So it's like a term that was literally manufactured to skirt FDA regulations uh, or by sort of making claims that are drug-like without being a drug because you're really a food. So you want to be regulated like a food, but, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod, it really does treat disease. Even going back 200 years, you, you know, people have been since really the discovery of electromagnetism just saying it works through some kind of magnetic effect also that gets sort of layered on or probably the biggest one still today is quantum, you know, just throw the word quantum in front of anything. And that again, acts like that's a sciencey buzzword that really nobody understands what it means. Even the experts disagree on exactly what it means and what the effects are, et cetera. But you could say, yeah, yeah, this, is, this works through quantum entanglement. That's a really good way to bamboozle people into thinking that you're exploiting some kind of high technology you know, when you're really just doing magic. I mean, let's face it, quantum mechanics is like magic when you think about it. It is the it is closest thing that science has to magic. So that would, be, that would probably be a very useful thing to throw around.
0: One thing lurking in the background, as you mentioned, quantum mechanics while reading your book was I I kept thinking back to Stanislav Lem's Solaris and the idea that at some point we will reach impediments to science because we lack the ability to create analogies to explain them, that there will be Mm -hmm. ideas and thought processes so remote that we will never get there. The other one to me that is always magic is narrow AI, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just a regression. But it's a regression on 10 trillion data points that has 1.1 billion variables. If you would ask me the question of what's magic, it was when I started seeing AI image generation and uh, Mm -hmm. diffusion networks. Mm -hmm. Speaking of narrow AI, uh, in the research on that, was there one that kind of popped out at you as being like, whoa. Um, because to me, the idea, this seems like a justifiable game thing, that if you, if we need to justify for a scene that a character gets a few extra dice on this particular skill trait or ability, just happening to have a, a, a tailored narrow AI plus a little bit of AR seems like it could justifiably get us there. Were there any particular examples of narrow AI that you find surpri- surprising, or do you think there are, there are advances in narrow AI that are coming down that will make people go, whoa?
1: So I think the whole field of narrow AI has been surprising to a lot of people, you know, even I think to some experts. It's and I've been trying to sort of answer the question of why the recent explosion in in narrow AI application. So just, you know, for the audience, narrow AI is artificial intelligence, but it's not self-aware, it's not a general intelligence, it's not like a human level intelligence. It's a, you know, basically a computer algorithm that could do one thing really well and you know the the algorithms are really the same as they were decades ago i mean the math apparently is not that hard for the kind of programmers that work in narrow ai and the, you know the big advances have been threefold just more raw computing power right more data on which to train the air ais and then these things are being leveraged in more subtle and clever ways by the people who are Applying the AI, but it, what's amazing is, is how effective those things can be. So I'm surprised to all of them. I mean, really, I've been playing with mid-journey for the last you know month or so. You know, just creating artistic images through, you know, natural language prompts, maybe a little bit of computer direction in terms of things like aspect ratio, things like that. And it's amazingly powerful. It's brittle in some ways, but it is it is amazingly powerful. Just the idea that a, a an AI program can drive a car when you really think about it. We're not there yet. I mean, that's one of those things where, again, if you want something that, We thought was going to be here already, but it's really going to take 10 more, 15 more years. That was a safe enough self-driving car. But when you think about that, that's a very complicated thing to do. It's amazing. Every time I see the Boston Dynamics robots and their ability to to walk and jump around and do cartwheels, whatever, I'm amazed. Every time I see them. Is completely amazing, and then beating the world Go champion—it seems like a simple thing, but these these are all things that previous experts said a hey, narrow AI will never do this. They'll never beat humans at this. And then every time it does it, they sort of move the goalpost. Go, you know, well, okay, well narrow AI won't be able to do this next thing, and then it does that. And then I think what we're learning is that you know how powerful these kind of you know dedicated uh, programs can be. That, and they could do things that we previously thought you needed some kind of human-level intelligence to do. But it's also making us think a lot more deeply about what human intelligence itself is. You can even take it to the extreme of saying, well, human intelligence is just a bunch of narrow AIs networked together. Because there is no part of the brain that's conscious. There's no seat of consciousness. There's, you know, there's nothing. All, there's, there's just really a bunch of narrow AIs. Doing different things, talking I mean, to each other. We all know other.
0: the souls in the pineal gland, though. But
1: yeah, yeah right. Yeah, <laughs> but just a, as long as enough of your cortex is awake and talking to itself, you you mm-hmm. can have consciousness. You know,
0: if someone purported that this was a narrow AI, but it could do a certain thing, where you would kind of call bullshit on it. For instance, if someone had a a, a medical diagnostic narrow AI that claimed to come out next year, or a maybe a novel writing narrow AI that produced what appeared to be New York Times bestsellers. Is there a Mm -hmm. Rubicon where you as a skeptic would go, "Mm, I think there's something else going on here where some mechanical Turk-like thing would maybe be more likely?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a matter of degree. And uh, given those things that you mentioned, we have them, right? We have text writing AI, we have medical diagnostic AI, and they're getting really good. They're already better than humans at like reading an x-ray already better than humans at, at doing mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Is, is it an incremental advance? Like, is it like, yeah, that's, that make, that seems like about the next okay. step. Or do I think they jumped 10 steps ahead? Like, how much better did they get? How quickly? Mm. Like, So, like, we go back to, like, the, the art production AI. If someone came out with one that created video, which is, again, already in the works, and there's already preliminary, like, early functions of this, even though I thought, like, yeah, I was, I thought I was going to have to wait a year or two for that kind of thing. I wouldn't necessarily think that's too much. That could not possibly be true. It would have to be, like, really a giant leap forward in quality. That would perk my ears up. But I could be probably convinced that it was real. I said, no, I've had a company working on this for the last five years sort of in the background. We wanted to wait until we got it to a really advanced level. Mm-hmm you know, before we announced it to the world. And here it is. It's like the next greatest thing. Such a rapidly advancing field. And there's no theoretical reason why the power of these AI is not just going to keep getting better and better. That that's probably an area where it'd be very easy to fake being a couple of steps ahead you know, in the technology, like maybe a few years, five years ahead of where we actually are. And even like an enthusiast like me would, be, would believe it. A true AI expert may, may know like, oh, you know, they, they may have mathematical reasons for thinking like, no, we're not quite there yet. There's, there is something hinky here. But I think it would take a very high level of expertise to sniff out a fake.
0: I think one of the key things to it is not necessarily that the AIs are here, but that, uh, to use the technical term, a schlub like me, for $10 a month, Mm -hmm. I did not know in the year of our Lord, uh, 2022, that AI image generation would be one of my recurring credit card bills. Didn't really see that one coming Mm -hmm. next to uh, Netflix and the water bill. But it seems like one of the other things is, you make mention that there's rapid advancement. Your characters want to introduce and want to vastly include the quality of healthcare in the world. They're a member of the Progenitors, maybe, or the Asclepian Order or the Kosians or something like that and you're like, hey we're going to slow roll a narrow AI general practitioner. We're going to, but to make this make sense, we're going to say that you have to engage in this almost cargo cult-like behavior of giving us a drop of blood, spitting in this tube, and doing all this other things. What it's really doing is going through all of your social media presences and diagnosing your di- dehydration from the fact that all every third picture is you doing a keg stand. So it's nothing super advanced yeah. there. So we need a little bit of ritual around it. It. But now we have this plot where it's like these advances are happening metronomically. This is either something we need to look into, mm-hmm. um, or your characters as experts are able to say, that's maybe a little bit too much.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. But it would be, I think that's an area where it would probably be the mm-hmm. most difficult because it's so, it's almost dizzying how fast it's progressing. And, and so it'd be hard. I like if it, like, even just if, if, in tomorrow, if a company came out with something that was really significantly better in any of these areas, whether it was creating images, creating video, creating narrative, just even even a chatbot so good that you really can't distinguish it from a person, I would probably I would believe it. I wouldn't. It wouldn't. I would have to be convinced, but I, yep. I, I you know, I'd, I would definitely look into it. I'd rather. I'd, want to kick the tires and slam the doors and really see if you know see if it's brittle could i break it etc i wouldn't just believe it without investigating it but i could with the evidence were there i could be made to believe that somebody pushed it forward what seems like a couple of steps but you know again there's no reason why these things are not possible
0: it would not be prima facie unreasonable, a, a pretty right, high bar exactly. for that, which makes sense. You made mention yeah. of uh, of two things. One, one of the things that you bring up in your book uh, in the autonomous driving section is in some areas... 99% is 99% as good as a hundred in other areas. 99% is shit. We don't want an automated car yeah. that doesn't get into a crash. 99% of the time we need, we need kind of a bunch more nines right. out there and this, and this kind of gives us a, yeah. a, another thing to play with. But you also made mention of Boston dynamics. My character has access to the technology of say 2060 or 2070 what do you think my robot sidekick can do
1: oh my god 2060 so i think that extrapolating out to it is the hardest thing I could extrapolate out 10 or 20 years mm-hmm. from existing technology. Mm-hmm. And if you go far enough in the future, i say, yeah, we'll have that eventually. So yeah, we'll have that yeah. by whatever, but that, that's like, it's beyond what we could extrapolate, but I don't know if it's long enough to get the mature versions of the mm-hmm. technologies we already know about. So it's kind of in that gray zone where it's like, we might, we mm-hmm. might not, I don't know, but th- there's a couple of things that are pretty relentlessly happening that I think we could say, yeah, by 2060, 2070. So again, you know, if you just take the, what the Boston Dynamics robots can do, extrapolate that out, it, you should be able to have, say, a humaniform robot that can do can move exactly like a human, can and even be uh, an agile human, like an athletic, agile human. That that shouldn't be a problem. We know that uh, battery technology is advancing, so it's you know pos- plausible that. You, you know, animal or human-sized robots will have significant internal power storage so that they could get through the day, you know, without having to recharge or without having, to like today, like a lot of the Boston Dynamics robots have to be plugged to external power. Mm-hmm. Like we'll probably be past that at that point. Although it's hard to say what their battery life would be, but it'll, it'll be probably reasonably significant. There's a lot of research being done into soft robotics, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, you know, robots now are hard, and that that makes them not good for a lot of applications, especially in the human space. If they want robots to occupy human spaces, not factory floors, you know, not the battlefield, but places where you know soft and vulnerable humans are, and the and our stuff, which we, we like not to have broken. You know you you want soft robotics. that also would make them a little bit less clanky and noisy. so it's it, by then it's also p- very plausible. They will have actuators and other things that are that are much softer. So again, having a robotic pet or a robotic companion or whatever that is pretty reasonable for the living counterpart if that's what you're going for, you know, making it look like a dog. i I bet you by then we'll have robotic dogs mm. that, at first blush, you wouldn't be able to tell was not a living dog. And again, the behavioral algorithms no, by then no problem. You know, and we, we were also you know, extrapolating out ex- current research, mimicking facial expressions to be more and more realistic. Again, you know, going fifty years in the future. I suspect you know we'll have soft, expressive robots that can function in human spaces with relative ease. There might be some limitations you probably you know probably the human eye is really good at telling if something's genuinely alive or not, so we'll see if we can get through the uncanny valley by then that could go that's kind of a coin flip, but we'll get there eventually, but that's that may be one of those ninety nine percent problems where mm-hmm. We get 99% of the way there, but that last 1% takes a lot of time. So we're stuck in the uncanny valley for a while, where you know the human eye can tell there's something not quite right about that. It's like with CG today; like we're almost there. Like we're oh, I don't know if you saw the CG of Luke Skywalker in the you know the the recent Star Wars series. It was really good. It was really good. As soon as it starts talking, though, you're like, yeah, that's CG. Like, you know, we can't get that mouth to move right. They're just Our eyes are just way too in tune to what a normal facial movement looks like. And the slightest, you know, the slightest flaw, we could, like, you know, that's CG. We just know it. 100, 200 years? Yeah, no, I think no question. But 50 years? That's hard to say if we'll be through the Uncanny Valley or still in it.
0: I was mostly annoyed that they did a... Reconstruction of Peter Cushing as Grand Moff Tarkin for Rebel mm-hmm. One, when Bill Nye is right mm-hmm. there and has been training to be yeah, no. Will of Tarkin his entire life, whether he <laughs> knew it or not.
1: Yeah, Tarkin. Uh, Tarkin was okay. Didn't didn't take me out of it. I Thought it was pretty good. The one where I thought, like, why did you do it? when they had Leia turn around? Why why'd you have a turn around? You did you weren't there. That was just you didn't need to have her turn around. She worked perfectly well from the back. And then and then she looked unbelievably CG when when she did. So but but we've come a long way even since then. Even since then, it's night and day.
0: This is another interesting mention. Something that would probably throw us off would be if we suddenly had something that we're already across that uncanny valley and that our our Mm hypertech characters, maybe the human eye is good out to three sigma, but your magical characters can go out to five or six and suddenly you start noticing that there are these replacements. I do like the idea that we are going to marry together Boston Dynamics with narrow AI and suddenly we have your lock picking dog companion (laughs) that can go around in the world and Mm -hmm. just kind of take care of standard spy trope impediments to you and deal with that combination keyboard yeah. or work your way through the, the laser maze or diagnose the illness that you're dealing with or figure out what a toxin is or do your material assay and that's mm-hmm. that seems like more of a in the book you kind of break up challenges into different classes which is to say we can do it now but nobody mm-hmm. wants it we could rebuild cities for the segue but that didn't really pan out it's not really a cost impediment yeah, right. just, we don't want it we could do it now but it's not at a good price, there are economic barriers. We can do it now, we just need to figure out the last bits of it, engineering barriers, and then we can do it now maybe we're not sure we got to do some science and science is about coulda not shoulda yeah so um and these uh, kind of flow into each other and the benefits of playing mm. a tabletop rpg where you have magical super tech societies is you kind of get to c- c- fudge them between them is there a technology we could have now but seemingly nobody wants it uh, you use the example in the book we know how to solve climate change and it's not that hard. We're just mm-hmm. not doing it. Let's say a more childish and impractical side where you're like, come on, guys, we could have this. <laughs> but we're just not working towards it.
1: Yeah, um, just that we're not working towards. I mean, I think that like we could have robotic pets right now at a level that I think more people would find acceptable than I think the, the market assumes. I think there would be a big market for as, like robotic pets as good as we could make them. Even as flawed as that would be at this at this current time, there's just so much functionality that you could build into them. So that's something that I think is, is a little bit behind the times. I also think that our educational system could be run by video game narrow AIs and we just are choosing not to do that because the industry doesn't want to. I think they're, they wanna keep doing things the way they've been doing things. So they sort of layer on technology as like a superficial thing like You're going to do the same thing, but you're going to do it on computers now, you know, rather than like we're going to reimagine education from the ground up to leverage our technology to maximal effect. We could do that right now, but there's just we're just not. There's a lot of things like that. I'm just trying. It's hard to come up with them all at the same time. But that's that's. That's one that always annoys me. It's like, we, we don't really have to be doing it this way. We there, There's so many better things we could be doing.
0: And I like that as an idea. Uh, within the game, we have the notion that there is the Umbra, the other worlds, as well as space, and the Void engineers have explored other planets using teleportation, but also highly powerful mundane spacecraft and other magically enhanced ones. We could have that off-world colony where everyone has a PhD at the age of 12 because a set of narrow AI has gamified things such that they have figured out the perfect match between a person's ability interest and ability to learn so that they're Mm -hmm. always at that point of chick send me high like flow for education that they never either get bored or stuck yeah right And, um, so that's a thing we could have your characters are coming up against a whole bunch of antagonists, but they're 14 and Mm -hmm. they all seemingly have PhDs. And it's just a side effect of them having gone through this radically restructured education system.
1: The thing is people are getting smarter over time. You know, our interaction with technology and information and communication with more people, more ideas, more exposure, you know, any objective measure of just like whatever intelligence isn't one thing, but things that Purport to measure in terms of like IQ. IQs are increasing by about three points a decade, Get in pretty there, consistently. Flynn yeah, yeah, and scientific literacy is increasing. I mean, it kind of plateaued in the last decade, but between the '80s and the 2000s, it increased significantly. Hmm. I think because you know people's now. If you have a question, you look it up. You know, before what do people do? But they didn't know. They're like, yeah, whatever. How many people went to the library and went through the card catalog and pulled out a book and read through the book to find one piece of information that they wanted to verify nobody did that unless you were you know you're a researcher or a journalist or whatever but now anyone could pull out their phone and say oh okay that's the correct answer immediately immediate information satisfaction so again if yeah you could you could extrapolate that out and definitely there's a lot of a lot of missed opportunity where you could de- definitely imagine a cult or something where you are making super trained individuals, you know, absolutely, you know, leveraging multiple things, you know, but including just completely, it's if you throw ethics out the window and, and you just don't care about if they're enjoying themselves. But you know, yeah, you could make super soldiers by age 15 or whatever it is you're interested in.
0: So speaking of kind of RPGs, one thing that frequently comes up is the haste spell or some analog that lets you yeah. act gooder faster. Is there anything on the horizon that would let us beat more or less... Just using amphetamines or cocaine, seemingly to improve, or other nootropics. Weird to call cocaine a nootropic, but on very short time horizons, some people claim that it is. Is there anything that would let us emulate that, or Mage a time three effect that lets us just kind of act faster or more capably over short bursts of time?
1: The short answer is no. Okay. And yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately. So with not with biology, mm-hmm. and the the reason for that is. And not as a drug, not pharmacologically or anything like that. So the inherent limitation is how quickly nerve impulses get through nerve cells and how long they are like you can't get a signal from a to b any faster it's the laws of physics limitation at this point and that's kind of the ultimate limit of how fast you could move and process information etc so we're kind of operating at the edge of physics in terms of our neurological speed so how could and, and and it's been studied a lot of ways you know do people do people's time perception actually change with stimulation or extreme anxiety or fear or whatever and the answer appears to be no our perception of time is pretty much a constant but so what What? how could we get around this so you'd have to genetically engineer people that have faster neurons i don't think it could be done pharmacologically i mean i say that but you'd have to be doing something where I, I can't even imagine what that would be but somebody more clever than i again it's hard to replicate a thousand clever experts like you know what i mean like It's hard for me to sit here and go, oh, I wonder if there's any way to do this. No, I guess even a thousand experts over 20 years are not going to be able to figure something out if I couldn't figure it out in five minutes sitting here. So there may be some way that I'm not even conceiving of that. But if you genetically engineer people to have different kind of myelin around their their nerve cells or whatever, you have some kind of better better neurotransmitters, better receptors or something where their transmission speed could be increased 10%, 20%, 30%, where they actually could be functioning faster. That would be one way Another way would be an AI implant, right? You would need to have a super fast computer interfacing with your brain where you're offloading some of your cognitive processes to a supercomputer that does operate faster. Than the human brain, then it could. Those are the two ways to get there. Extreme genetic engineering or AI implants. But pharmacologically, I don't think there's a way there's a way to do it. We're not improving the they, nerve conduction velocity yeah, after the fact. Yeah. Yeah, yeah usually it is what it is. I don't think there's a way to, to to juice that significantly.
0: And if anyone is bored, the experiments that have been done in determining does time actually slow down when under adrenaline are fascinating because you yeah. shove someone off of a high <laughs> off of basically a trapeze into a net and have them look at a watch that is moving numbers right, exactly. very quickly and i'm like oh man God bless science. Yeah,
1: that's that was a pretty brave <laughs> and, experiment, yeah.
0: And the other thing you make mention of is kind of AI to improve the response. One technology that was actually explored during the invasion of Iraq and the time shortly thereafter was essentially bulletproof vests that would respond to the sound of a that would be able to quickly triangulate where an incoming shell was coming from and literally jerk you out of the way. Mm-hmm. The problem you run into with that is you're frequently dealing with supersonic rounds. So so uh, the right. speed of sound Doesn't is help. still too yeah. slow, but over small scales. And again, this is another one of these things our characters can use as a sign of like, he was literally faster than this was possible, or he was seeing faster than, than the human uh, flicker fusion threshold. So either that is a right. very large mosquito or, or we got something else going on.
1: Although there is armor that they're working on. I think they call it dragon scale where it's, again, it's nanostructured so that mm-hmm. when there's an impact it causes the armor to bunch up in a way that becomes really hard. You know, you can wear it and it feels like cloth, right? It's flowing. But then when it gets hit, it becomes rigid and can block the blood. So it becomes like a bulletproof without having like, you know, without rigid, being bulky or uh, without being uh, yeah, heavier. yeah.
0: Another common wizard trope is the ability to kind of predict a game of chance, either Mm -hmm. ahead of time or anticipate it. Do you feel that there's a set of technologies that would allow my my character to seemingly guess where a roulette ball would fall? Does that also go within the things where, no, we could machine learning, narrow AI, and uh, computer vision, we could do that, or which side of the coin would land heads up?
1: Yeah, I'm talking, talking about after the ball is thrown. Yes. So, yeah, so we would have to very quickly calculate a very complicated set of trajectories. So it depends, and it depends on whether or not the outcome is truly chaotic or not. And so here's, all right, so here's an interesting thing. For some of those problems may be literally beyond standard computing. Like, say, yeah, if you had mm-hmm. a million supercomputers calculating for a million years, maybe you could fig- you know, predict with 90% certainty where that ball is going to land. But if you had a quantum computer, you could do it in half a second. And so that's the kind of thing where if you had a next one or two or three generation quantum computer either communicating to you, you probably couldn't have it portably on you. But let's say you had something like Google Glass. It's feeding the quantum computer. You're looking at the coin in the air. You're looking at the ball going around the roulette table. It had the quantum computer has two seconds to tell you it's going to land on something. But it has to be before they say no more bets, right? So there's, you have a very, very short window. That's not implausible. If you had made a leap forward in quantum computing technology before anybody realized it, then you could be doing something like that. Other things where you know the outcome is not quite so chaotic that you could, like I think a coin flip, you might be able to predict that just with a standard computer. Whether it would be able to do it fast enough while it's still in the air is hard to say. If we could do that with current technology, you know, without again some kind of major advance, so there's some plausibility there. But I would say quantum computing is your best bet
0: do you think quantum computer would let me figure out what i needed to do so i could shout hey you all of most movies and everyone would know how to like clear out into a perfect circle so i could have that find a ninja fight with someone else is uh crowd dynamics a good quantum question or is that just beyond the pale uh, that is only a semi-serious question i mean be, um
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, crowd dynamics is one of those sort of quantum computing questions, like a flock of birds, like predicting their behavior, things like that. But influencing human behavior, no.
0: Yeah, but uh, yeah. highly dynamical systems, figuring out how to, your quantum computer suddenly comes into play when you hand it off to your AI character who is able to safely make it across rush hour traffic in LA at full speed by just being able to figure out those that traffic flow dynamics. And someone asks them how and be like, oh, I modeled cars as red blood cells, something, 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 technobabble and then everyone's like
1: huh. technobabble quantum <laughs> computer yeah yeah, yeah exactly.
0: <laughs> later on in the book you talk about synthetic life. Is there a cryptid or legendary creature that you would like to have as a pet? Ignoring the ethical implications of having your own manticore. I personally would like a mothman. That's mm-hmm. just me. I want a very curious thing that is essentially a great horned owl that's a little bit more intelligent and it's just kind of flying around and following, uh, figuring out what my business is, and maybe uh, records that mm-hmm. on a slightly cybernetic basis. Is there that mythical creature that you think we could see once Uh, synthetic life forms uh, start start rolling out.
1: I mean, anything multicellular is a way way, away, right? So right now we're working on bacteria. So anything where you have a multicellular organism... That may be like a hundred years from mm-hmm. now, like before we're like engineering that kind of thing. I wouldn't be surprised. What would I want to make if I could make it? I think the chupacabra is a good one because it's a little manageable in size. Like, where are you going to put your Loch Ness monster? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Re- and and even Bigfoot would be would be kind of fun, but still, that's like better make sure he's potty trained. But a chupacabra is basically a dog. Yeah, you know, that's. I think that would be a lot more manageable. Although I was going to go with the owl before before you chose.
0: Ah, it. sorry. W- would you want a that's very right. small Loch Ness monster? Like, have a little moat out in front of your house and maybe have them seasonally, three or four of them. Yeah. yeah.
1: Something I could keep in a pool. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. The Loch Ness Monster Pond.
0: Breathing yeah. fire is probably beyond what Synthetic Life could do, but once you marry together Synthetic Life and Cybernetics, we're now into a whole whole other ball of wax, which I yeah. uh, certainly I mean, appreciate.
1: mythical creatures, not... Yeah, not cryptids but mythical creatures i'm partial to griffins big enough that i could ride it i want to be able to put a saddle on there and and ride the thing dragon would yes but they're they're so big and they're kind of aggressive and scary griffin i think you could be more manageable i
0: just also don't trust cold-blooded pets just kind of as a rule i just assume a dragon would be like that a griffin as a is a griffin to you warm-blooded or kind of somewhat warm-blooded like a bird
1: no, they're they're totally like warm-blooded. Okay. I mean, they're half mammal, half bird. Either way, they're warm-blooded. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're totally warm-blooded. They have to be to the ener- kind of energy demands of, of what they do. A, a griffin could be just a four-legged sort of eagle-type creature, mm-hmm. or it could literally be like a the true mythical creature is a lion on the back end. I don't care about the... Chi- I don't like the chimera griffin. I want just like a plausible creature that just happens to have a configuration like a griffin. Eagle head, four eagle legs, eagle tail, so it could f- actually fly well. Very intelligent.
0: I do yeah. like the idea that like the griffin people and the hippogriff people and the rock people are all in the same neighborhood yeah. and they judge each other when they're walking their pets and being like, oh, yeah. you got a you got a sphinx, really? That's so 2175. Yeah. So seemingly anything without a projectile weapon that is a that is a mashup of some sort we, we you m- might be seeing that yeah. in the future. Sure. Is there a weird mashup that you think is doable now or in the near future? We've all seen the image of the mouse with ears on its back. If someone were to have a chupacabra 15 years from now with dedicated research do you think that's within uh the ken of doing some form of selective breeding or is is there a a barrier that you think selective pressures uh, that is one too far to get your little goat sucker
1: i mean you could probably do it with breeding i mean look what we've done with dogs with breeding it's just amazing if we we really wanted to make something like that with breeding if we allowed bioengineering then it becomes easier Mm -hmm. if you know if you could say i want to give it some scales you know or whatever then that, that becomes a lot easier. I think we're just, you know, I, again, there's ethical regulatory considerations in a world where those were not an issue. If there was a dedicated program of bioengineering going on in the game world, I could see a lot of really crazy shit coming out very plausibly with, you know, a 10-year, 20-year sort of research program Again, that could have started in the 90s. Like We could be seeing those things now if there were people working on it and not really caring so much about about ethics, like the kind of monstrosities that it would create, just sort of experimenting with what kind of weird kind of creatures can we create? You know, can can we put wings on a lion? Let's try. Uh, let's see what happens. It's yeah. I mean, it, it, that's that's very plausible.
0: Kind of another class of uh, of common RPG magic stuff that we see are things that. Provide either uncanny understanding of the mood of another person or the ability to influence it. You don't really talk about things like pheromone manipulation or what have you mm. in the book. Is that still? science fiction that's pretty far out there or are there any technologies that you feel would kind of let us approximate that Jedi mind trick or or something similar to that from kind of a a high technology paradigm?
1: So I don't think it's very plausible and not because we lack the technology just because humans don't work that way. So like any system that we've tried to develop where um, we can tell if someone's lying or not by reading their micro expressions or their tells or whatever. Again, humans are kind of chaos machines. You know, those 100 narrow AIs bouncing back and forth inside our our brains is very chaotic. And and we can't always predict how we're going to react to to things. And so it's we're not we're inherently it's like predicting the weather. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, will we be able to predict the weather one day? No, you know, because there's a certain amount of chaos that, you know, it's just going to be it's inherently unpredictable beyond a certain point. I think humans are inherently unpredictable. And that also means you can't necessarily I mean, you know, we're actually pretty good at manipulating people at the 50 to 60% level. Like psychologists could do that now like you do a good psychological study you could say 40% of the people are not going to see the thing or they're going to respond in this way or 50% or 60 whatever um, so if you're talking about that you know we could do that now just by just study psychology and you could manipulate people at that level you know improve your chances of getting them to behave in the way that you want them to behave that's just like social psychology a lot of that if you wanted to take it to like the 95% level then it's tough because that's where you that's like where you're pushing the limit beyond the chaos, you know, where it becomes inherently unpredictable. You could argue that, you know, with AI, you could maybe get the number up a little bit, you know, maybe you can get up like 60% or 70% or something, but that would be plausible. Like if you want some kind of bonus on your die roll or however that would Mm -hmm. manifest in the system, sure. Manipulation like in Dune, like the Bene Gesserit, no. I don't think that our brains don't work that way. That's even possible. You know, there would there would have to be something else going on. And pheromones, again, like pheromones don't really, you know, you can't get people to sort of behave in a way that they wouldn't ordinarily behave. You know what I mean? Like that, you can't, again, that's not how the brain works. But you know, and pheromones really just reinforce existing intimacy. They don't like... Ooh, you catch a whip and you fall in love with somebody. That that doesn't happen.
0: You do mention an interesting class of technologies that that are kind of up and coming. One would be brain machine interfaces. Yeah, uh, which. That may partially answer the the, the question of, so how are we getting this information that our character is parsing? The easiest example for that is probably a contact lens or a pair of glasses or something, though. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, you you make mention of uh, neuronal dust, or basically that we Mm -hmm. could inhale brain-computer interfaces. And we couldn't use this at an unassuming dinner party. But now, suddenly, my person in black team is literally on the same wavelength. Because we have that, we have a direct brain computer interface that's talking to our phones, and now our only limitation is the speed of light and the processors on our iPhone 37s. While we don't get that uncanny influence, we do get that uncanny communication, possibly.
1: Totally. Yeah, yeah, we, we could totally replicate ESP. Once you, once you have, like if you have a chip in your head, I have a chip in my head, they could be talking to each other through radio frequency and we could have ESP. Yeah.
0: But in the same way, you would not be able to ESP, in the same way that I can't call someone who doesn't have a phone, I wouldn't be able right. to ESP some sort of rando.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Will I ever be able to use supercapacitors to shoot lightning from my hands?
1: yeah why not okay I mean that's it's just a matter of you know make getting them to be small enough, you probably would have to be like wearing gloves where the supercapacitor mm-hmm. capacitor was hidden in there, or if you don't mind putting it under your skin or something, creating an electrical arc is not that difficult technology yep. you know if you had some kind of power source and you had small enough supercapacitors you know that you could create an electric potential and then discharge it, sure, that's very plausible.
0: And one of the things you talk about in your book is that we're getting better and better at passive energy collection technologies that could take advantage mm-hmm. of either ambient radio waves or some of the energy from you just walking around that it's not really the glove so much as the jacket that you have that is acting as a giant yeah. PV solar cell or that is taking energy from the wind or all sorts of things in ten thousand ways that allow you to do that to do that shocking grass for two D six plus two damage or in this Four dice, uh, difficulty seven.
1: Right, right. Maybe it takes an hour of walking around yeah. to build up the battery again to do it again. Right, so it's limited mm-hmm. in, in terms of you have to build that up unless you can externally charge it or something. You plug in, then you can do it again yeah. in a minute. But if you want to just do it from walking around or breathing or your pulse pulsating or whatever that, that that's a very small amount of energy so it's it's good for powering very small devices that only need a little bit of energy but they're hard to get to because they're inside your body if you wanted to do it to to create a substantial amount of energy it would take time and I think probably the biggest source of energy would be if you're harvesting it from your own activity, it would be from walking around because there's a lot of potential energy there. Having a jacket that was a photovoltaic cell, that could generate a significant amount of energy over time. Maybe in an hour, you could charge up.
0: Yeah, you're looking at something like a, a, a kilowatt per square meter or something like that yeah. with, with full yeah, sunlight. Yeah. Another thing, just just for the listeners, that the book, I think, does an exceptional job with is saying, hey, this technology is probably impossible, but there's this other thing that's pretty close to it. For instance, you make mention of the fact that we will probably never have energy Shields. They just don't make mm-hmm. sense. But having an AI that has a targeting computer built into it that can just knock an incoming bullet out of the air is entirely plausible. And it's probably something we can have in the next year or two. Yeah. And a similar one you talk about is we're not teleporting anytime soon, but oh man, for short distances, we have rockets that can go Mach 16. That's New York to Los Angeles in 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. That rounds off to teleportation for me. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> At least on a planetary scale,
0: yeah. The other thing we have about technology is kind of the plots that it generates over who controls it. The Order of Reason was a group in the game that pushed for innovation through the Renaissance and the Enlightenment. It eventually became the technocracies that pivoted from an organization that had a monopoly on scientific ideas to sleepers, to non-mages kind of being the main crux of that. Of the technologies that you list in the nearer the midterm, with maybe the exception of AI, because for whatever reason in the game... Greater than human level AI doesn't seem to reliably exist. People can teleport. People can have pocket nuclear devices, but AGI superintelligence just doesn't seem to be on the table. In Mage, Mm -hmm. Um, is there a technology that maybe you most fear, or you think represents the greatest power to the first person that would have some control over it?
1: I mean, it depends on how you define power. I mean, if you just want to blow stuff up, like if if you figure out how to make large quantities of antimatter. That's really useful for power generation, for rocketry. It's also really good at blowing stuff up. If that's the if that's the primary goal. For security, it's quantum computing. Whoever gets the first quantum computer at, you know, like a million qubit kind of level where you can basically break any code that exists and create uncrackable codes except by another quantum computer of equal power, they will own security. That's it. Once whoever cracks that. And, you know, the other thing that's just, you know, the fact that Genetic engineering is becoming so cheap, so fast, so portable, you know, that any lab in the world could do CRISPR uh, without having to, you know, invest millions of dollars in equipment uh, and could do it fairly, fairly quickly. So that's a technology that excites and scares me at the same time because, like, the potential for curing diseases and improving humanity is massive, you know, improving our agricultural system, et cetera. But it just seems like it's going to be so trivially easy in the not-too-distant future to, you know, engineer super Bugs or engineer insects that will be a plague on your enemy or whatever. And and once you manipulate the germline, it, then it just it's it's out there in the environment now. That's a genie that is like impossible to put back in the bottle. The proliferation of, of sort of cheap and easy genetic proliferation, genetic uh, engineering is probably the scariest technology in the near future.
0: Yudkowsky Moore's law that every eighteen months the IQ required to destroy humanity drops by one point. Um, <laughs> is one of those, uh, is one of those things. It doesn't quite keep me up at night, but I, I worry about it in the back in the back of my head. Right. Um, you've been so generous with your time. This book is wonderful. Listeners, uh, link in the show notes. Uh, read it because it's a good read, but also there is this way of reading it that it can be beneficial to the games we play, especially if we have an eye towards the fact that this is normally a mystical game where you have the Rosicrucians and the witches up against the men in black. It's nice to have some resources for some of the fun toys that the men in black can bring to bear on this. Mm-hmm. Dr. Ville, do you have any other upcoming projects or any other things that you think our audience uh, may be interested in?
1: So, I mean, I think the big thing for, for podcast listeners is to just to check out our podcast, The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Uh, there's also a book by the same name, which is our first book. The Skeptic's Guide to the Future is the second one. And we always have a lot of irons in the fire. You know, we have, We're trying to develop a series of, of live shows. Again, that kind of was put on the back burner for a couple of years because of the pandemic. But we're sort of rekindling that now that people can actually get together in the same theater you know we do lectures panels entertainment shows sort of variety type shows for colleges corporations and we just do them we just book them ourselves as well so you could just look on our website and everything we do is there just go to the skepticsguide.org, it's all there
0: uh, dr. bill thank you so much for your time
1: terry it's been a lot of fun thanks for having me
0: You've been listening to Mage the Podcast, which as a technology hopes to remain entirely coincidental well into the near future. The episode is made possible by Mikhail, Oracle of the Near Future Technology of Unstained Spaghetti Sauce. Jay Widener, Oracle of the near-future technology of doormats that don't keep moving around as you step on them. Josh Hillerup, Oracle of the near-future technology of spoons that don't slide into soup bowls if you just kind of leave them on the side. Buck Gregory, Oracle of the near-future technology of ice that doesn't get stuck in the big chunk of the bottom of your glass and fall onto your face when you tap the back of it. Christopher Phillips, Oracle of the near-future technology of cats that meow with perfect pitch. The Crew of Erebus, Oracle of the near-future technology of bulletproof spats. Additionally, I'd like to thank our other executive producers, Alex, Alexia, Anders S, Andrew Adelstein, Anon, Bedurfi, Bertolice, Hebert, Blake, Ryan, Boogers to the Six, Brad the Blue, Bryce Perry, Chris B, Daniel Cupp, Daniel Scribner, Dan Svenson, David Roy, Derek, Dennis Osborne, Derek Simsek, Fraggerock, George Lar, Guy Conan Stewart, Ea Bolt, Jason Kennedy, Jason Vines, Jason W. Briggs, Gatsby, Jeff Brin, John Magnuson, Julian Andes, Laws and Stuff, Joshua Heath, Kathleen Halperin, Chris Kenner, Leslie Weatherstone, Matthew Prohl, Michael Creedle, Michael Parker, Morgan Iran, Nathan Weaver, Nibero, Neil Patterson, Nikita Klemenov, Oliver Schindler, Patrick McNamara, Patrick Mulder, Puka G, Rachel Grace, Ralph Scheinheimer, Ricardo, Richard Bat Brewster, Robart the Robot. Rob H. Ryan Kennedy, Samuel Tobin, Sean Gallagher, Stephen Carton, Thrice Great, William Connolly, William Martin, and Zach Rules. Our executive producer shout out this week is to Chris Skinner, who spells their first name with a K. I googled this to see how common Chris with a C versus Chris with a K was, and I got the most delightful results. Sdifference.com is a Google food page that just wants to generate formulaic content to put ads against and does so in the lamest way possible. The answer I got was that Chris with a C was shortened of the male name Christian or Christopher with the accompanying image of the crotch of a football player, whereas Chris with a K was an Indonesian or male a dagger with a wavy or rigid serpentine blade or alternatively the transitive verb for to stab someone with the same thing. The image accompanying this was entirely crotch free sadly. I think from now on, instead of a junk shot, I may refer to someone being hit in the Christopher. Chris Kinner, thank you for your support. Rather listen on YouTube? Search Mage the Podcast on YouTube to find our full library there. If you super liked this episode or super didn't, drop us a line at magethepodcast at gmail.com or at magethepodcast on Twitter. If you're listening to us on Spotify, please feel free to participate in the Spotify polls that I've been doing at this point for several months. I probably should have announced that at some point. We have a hop in Discord community at discord.me slash podcast. If you like us, please give us a review on the platform of your choosing or tell a friend about us. Also, go to to madesthepodcast.com for show notes and all of our previous shows. Now, go change reality. And yes, I know during this outro, the sound cut out a few times. It's a driver issue, and I'm in the middle of working on it. Bye.